Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 42. Happy Friday. I'm doing this on a Friday this week because I skipped last week because I had kind of a busy weekend and I'm going to Boston tomorrow morning bright and early for a wedding one night only so I won't be around to do it this weekend and I started to worry that if I didn't do this podcast this week then you know I'd never get to it ever right? And it would be really sad if we stopped doing the podcast. I kind of like it. It's nice. I went to the Webby Awards this week on Monday, and I ran into a bunch of friends in there having a conversation about my podcast. And one person was like, I like the music part. And the other person was like, I don't like the music part. The music part's too overwhelming. I, I like the current events and the reports on Jane. And I was like, this is pretty weird, you know? Like, people don't really do life blogging podcasts. But it's nice because everybody knew what was up. And I didn't really have to have the same conversations a million times. Well, except for with people don't listen, of course, but that's okay. Yeah, the Webbies are great, you know. I, uh, except I got sick. I, I I don't know what it was. I, I I had a couple glasses of wine and I had dinner, and then they gave us this delicious strawberry cheesecake tart to eat for dessert, and I ate it. But and then I just instantly got sick, and I thought I was gonna puke, and I had to run to the bathroom, and it was like really bad. But nobody else did. And so I'm like, maybe I just have a weak constitution to sweets now. But I mean, I eat sweets a lot. Not a lot, but I still eat them occasionally. And I, I don't really know. So it was a bummer because then I had to leave. And I just went back to my hotel. And I went to bed. And I slept it off. and Which was probably ultimately good. I slept like 12 hours. And it was amazing. But I didn't get to go to the after party. And there's a ton of people there I didn't see. Which is really sad. And, you know. But it was still a good time. And, uh... <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I just got a uh, text beep from one of my neighbors about this HOA stuff. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but, you know, I've just been traveling for weeks now. Weeks. I think like six weeks in a row. And I'm just tired of it. And I got to do this trip to Boston tomorrow. But after that, I think I get like 10 days at home. But I'm really just, I just don't want to travel anymore, man. And then at the Webbies, they gave an award to Greta Thunberg, who's the Danish teenager that's been like, you know, speaking truth to power at the Davos and things like that telling all the old people how much they suck and they need to fix the planet and and she they were like Greta doesn't travel anymore by plane so she sent her speech in over the internet and I was like oh my god this is like I love Greta Thunberg because I don't want to travel anymore and I feel super guilty about all my carbon footprint especially my flying and I'm and I'm tired of flying and I just want to start telling people I don't fly anymore because of the environment which is totally valid because we're totally you know ruining the environment <laughs> <laughs> so props to Greta Thunberg for that. I, I, yeah, I've been, I've been very, very obsessed about the environment lately. You know, I, I finished that book, uh, This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein. We'll talk about that in a bit. And I've got my power walls, which with this nifty app that tells me how much power I'm using. And, and like some days I can make it so that I take, I give the grid more power than I take from it, but other days I can't. And then like the air conditioning unit's gone and I'm like, oh my God, they use so much power and they freak me out. And I uh, have not traditionally worried about my power consumption. I academically worried about it, but you know, now I'm really freaking out about it and it's it's sort of causing a lot of consternation in my life and Greta Thunberg really sort of inspired me that was pretty exciting uh, anyway, what else is going on in Chatham County? A lot of a lot of neighborhood stuff. The the county upped our property taxes. Our property taxes went up twenty seven dollars a month. Uh, 67 cents per $100 now. So I think we're paying like, uh, I don't know, like $120 a month or something now in property taxes. Uh, it's pretty, it's a good deal. They're nice and cheap. It's a good county we live in. I read the county's entire financial report recently because uh, I was trying to see if they had any investments that weren't carbon neutral and I could yell at them. Turns out they don't. They keep all their money invested in uh, 
U.S. T-bills and things like that. So that was good, except for this one component that is at the North Carolina level. There's like a pool for retirement for police officers. All the counties pay into this pool and the state manages the retirement fund. And I haven't really figured out exactly where that retirement fund is allocated yet. But other than that, the county is invested carbon neutral, which is pretty cool because that was on my list of things to do to agitate about in the county. And, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting, but uh, they raised the property tax a little bit to pay for some schools and things like that. So that's pretty cool. And uh, then, you know, we still got our arguments going on about our statue. The uh, county commission is going to, I think, inevitably take it down, but they're really being very thorough and making sure everybody has their say so they don't get accused of railroading it. Although personally, I think they should have just railroaded it because this whole thing is not productive and it's just making people in the county mad at one another. And we should have just ripped the bandaid off. But, you know. There have been out in five county hearings with like 40 or 50 people speaking at each one of them. The sentiment seems pretty consistently for taking it down, but the people that don't want it taken down seem to be in denial about that. They, uh, they can't rally the same number of people to the meetings. They did some like fake online poll like conservatives do, pretending that was more valid than the number of people that showed up at the commissioner's meetings. But uh, I think it's going to go. We shall see. We shall see. And then in the neighborhood, our entire HOA is done. They basically, everybody on the HOA committee has been on the committee for like six years since the neighborhood was founded and they all just retired en masse today. And now we have to like all comprise a new HOA committee. So I guess I'm going to be the treasurer of the new HOA committee, which is like, uh, it's like really pretty much the worst job on the committee. But I figured, you know, that's where the power is and the purse strings, right? So if I wanted to be a tyrant in the neighborhood, I got the control of the money. So (laughs) that's probably the best thing to do. But I've been coordinating with my neighbor friends and we're all going to take positions on it. Emma's going to join the architectural (laughs) review board. Oh, God. I don't know what we're getting ourselves into. It's a pretty, like, libertarian, like, HOA. There aren't a lot of laws in it. There's only a few, so it shouldn't be too bad. And all the houses are built now, so that's, you know, that's a big thing. The ARB is a pain when they're building houses. They had to approve houses, entire buildings, and it was very contentious, but there's no more lots to build on. So it's all just, like, pools and in-law cabins and paint colors now, which, you know, that's a little bit easier. But, uh, yeah, so that's happening. So that's what that ding was on my phone. One of my neighbors, this guy, Ricardo, and we're uh, <laughs> trying to make Levi become president. It's a, it's a good time. It's a good time. What else? What else? Our favorite restaurant, not our favorite restaurant, one of our favorite restaurants in in Carborough is closing, Southern Rail. Except for the thing is they changed the menu a couple of weeks ago and it's not actually that good anymore. And, I, you know, it was very obvious the menu change was a money saving menu change and now they're closing it. And it's like, oh, that's a bummer. And the guy that owns it owns like a really popular fancy restaurant in town called Venable. And he's like, I need to spend more time with my kids. I'm like, really? Because you own like three other restaurants and you're not closing them. You're just closing this one. It's very obvious. It's just because it's losing money. But I feel bad for the guy because he spent like millions of dollars renovating these train cars and it's gorgeous. And I hope somebody else buys it, but I don't really know what's going to go on with that. That's kind of a bummer. And uh, yeah, let's see. We went to a dinner, potluck dinner at some friend's house. These new friends, Colin and Laura in Carborough. Their house is awesome. It has solar panels too, which is nice. Uh, but their friends are all very taciturn. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation. There's a ton of kids, tons of kids, like seven or eight kids which was fun and some of them were old enough to watch Jane which is awesome so I kind of get the whole two kids thing except for I don't think it really work is, is worth it because you had to raise the first kid so like the net amount of work is not that is not less there's just no way but uh and you know two of them these two women their moms there but they're both were like native people from the triangle area and they used to be rockers and I was like oh my god I want you to tell me all about the 90s rock scene in Carborough in Chapel Hill but they just weren't really very talkative so it wasn't really it wasn't really happening Colin's super talkative though and I kind of get why he he was having this dinner because he needs some conversational friends but I get along with that guy we're gonna go to a couple shows together soon so that's fun that's fun things are happening down here and in Chatham County, I, I think I like it. I don't really, I still have massive suburban guilt with my gas guzzling cars that, you know, we don't commute to work. Tank of gas lasts us weeks and weeks and weeks, but I still feel bad about it. I feel bad about my lawn. We had a, a very leaky irrigation system for a while and we've got our water reduced like 4X or something, but like, well, you know, 4X, what does that mean? That's <laughs> down to one fourth of what it used to be, but it's still too much water. And I just, you know, I wish I could just like take my lawn and turn it into a rock garden, but like, you can't really do that in these neighborhoods. People like think you're weird, but I still kind of want to do it anyway. But then it's like Jane plays in the lawn and it's like this whole guilt thing. And you know, like my house is big and it uses too much energy, except for now I got these 
solar panels and so it doesn't use as much energy as an average home anymore but it probably i don't know actually i should compare you guys anybody there take a look at your electric bill and tell me how many like kilowatt hours of electricity you used last month maybe i've got it down to like new york levels that would make me feel better i should dig out an old bill from 101 for my 111 kent days see if i use much more power than them now but yeah anyway other than that stuff i'm, I'm kind of into chatham county these days i mean you know I was reading a book about the environment and things you can do. And I was like, well, I can do stuff in my own County. That's like a manageable size, you know, like, you know, I can't change the world. You can, you know, stick close to home. Right. So I don't know. I've been thinking about it more. And plus it's super sunny here now and it's nice and it's warm. It's gorgeous. And I went to New York on, on two Monday and I got off the plane. I could see my breath. I was like, what the hell, man? It's like may, you can see your breath here. What is up with this? This is totally crazy. I don't understand. So, this is like the time of year you really, really appreciate the weather here compared to there. Uh, it looks like it's getting nicer this weekend, though, so I think Boston will be okay. Jane is doing well. Oh, yeah, she's doing all right. Emma bought her little desk. It's so cute. It's this little white desk with a little white chair. So what she's doing now, she's coming over to my desk and she's stealing things off of it. And then she walks over and puts them on her desk. <laughs> it's so cute. She has a little keyboard and a little mouse and she just sits there and she makes like typing sounds. She's like, oh, this, whoops. <laughs> I tried to make typing sounds in my uh, garage band and it didn't really work. But here I can use this keyboard. That's the Apple II Plus at the end of my desk that I used to let Jane type on, but she's sort of gotten bored with that. So now she's got a little desk, and it's really cute. And she had a poop in her potty, just one so far in the in the shower. Emma put her in the potty, and she's like sat and sat and poop and poop and sat and sat and poop, and eventually she pooped in her potty. And I'm like, oh my god, it's the beginning. She's now in the like diapers that she can pull down herself, although she hasn't figured that out yet. And uh, but I, it's getting close. She sort of sometimes tells us when she has to poop, she comes over and she's like poop. <laughs> like oh cool all right but i haven't managed to get her to do it yet i mean we, she knows to sit on potties and she knows poop and, and making product progress but not quite there yet read an interesting article about that that like the way to do it is you just let them not wear a diaper and for like two weeks you follow them around and whenever they start to pee or poop you go potty and you pick them up and run them to the potty but you know i don't really have two weeks Bear right now and neither does Emma we thought about taking a vacation just to follow our kid around that might be fun but I figure you know maybe if she hasn't got this worked out by the Christmas holiday I'll do that we yeah maybe that could be cool and she seems like she's done with breastfeeding. I mean, she's it's been, you know, tapering off a lot. But in the last couple of mornings and evenings, she's been phenomenally uninterested in it, which is kind of exciting in a way because it means I can take her to Boston or New York soon. So I talked to my hotel and they have cribs and they're like, we'll upgrade you to a suite when you bring Jane. Just let us know. Call us at the front desk. And, oh man, my gate is a little... A little wonky today. Uh, maybe I should. I changed the gate accidentally the other day because I. Why did I change the gate? Oh, I had to do some recording for Emma for a project for some. Uh, Snapchat ads. Here we go. Is that better? That is better. There we go. Yeah. So I had to change the gate on that, and I guess the setting stuck so now my gates all screwed up and i'm not gonna go re-record this so too bad anyway music music let's see i sold four cds well i sold actually eight cds i sold uh, in coda by in the nursery which is this like old sort of industrial goth ambient band uh, i actually saw them at south by southwest once and i was like so excited i was like in the nursery is playing in the united states and i'm going to go to this show and nobody cared it was at elysium of course and there's like 20 people there but apparently they did this because they were going to mexico city after this and they're really big in mexico city and i'm like yeah man i saw in the nursery and like some Day people are gonna someday somewhere I'll meet someone that's impressed about that, but uh, I, I almost typed it into the guy that bought the CD like I saw this band, but I, I let that go. Uh, and then I sold What Does Anything Mean Basically by the Chameleons, which is a great CD, but I already own it on vinyl, so I felt okay about that. And then I sold Principle of Evil Made Flesh by Cradle of Filth. I had a Cradle of Filth phase because I think they're so ridiculous and over the top and amazing. And I was I saw them in Boston once, and I was like, this is the most insane band ever. But it passed quickly and I only own, ever owned one Cradle of Filth CD and I just sold it so farewell and I guess that closes out my Cradle of Filth obsession 
And then I sold four CDs of Emma's. She had a big pile of CDs she's been having me sell, and they all sold immediately because they're popular music, except for a few are left, and they're all popular too. And this guy bought four, and they're all Emma's. Cat Stevens, R.E.M., The Wallflowers, and The Pretenders. So those are all sold. I have ripped them if you ever need you know, The Wallflowers' third album. I got a lossless copy for you there. Yeah. See? Now this gate's too much. Maybe, maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So, live shows. I saw three live shows in the last two weeks. I saw X-Hex and Japanese Breakfast at Cat's Cradle with Emma. It was super fun because I got to go with my wife, and it was great. And X-Hex are awesome, and Japanese Breakfast were pretty good. I enjoyed them. They had a, a, a false start at the beginning, so I felt bad for them, and it was a little hard for them to get their mojo back. And I really like their music on record, but I didn't like them as much live. But X-Hex are fantastic, and I found out they're coming back for the merge 30th anniversary thing. I have three, two nights of the three nights of tickets, and I don't know if they're playing on the night I'm going or not, so we will find out. But I uh, might be able to see X-Hex again in June. That would be pretty awesome. And then on my birthday, oh yeah, it was my birthday this week. Should we talk about that? No. Yeah, all right. you know what? Let's take a pause here. I forgot I forgot to mention that. I turned 47 years old last week. It was kind of a bummer. I, I made a tactical error because I thought I didn't care, so I didn't plan anything special. I just did work and uh, tried to ignore it, except for I couldn't ignore it, and I got really nostalgic because, you know, I do, after all, work at a nostalgia company. And it made me really depressed, and I felt really old, and it was a real bummer. And then I was totally in a cranky mood, and, uh, and I, I had promised him I'd go to this show. She was polite. She gave me an out, but I obviously was going to take it because garbage is one of her two favorite bands and it was in Raleigh. It was like 45 minutes away. It was at this club we'd never been to. But I was like, you got to do this. And then as soon as we got in the car, I started going. I was like, oh, this is fun. You know, we're going to take a road trip. We're going to a club. And then we got to the club and it was like very big and industrial and weird in an industrial park. It's called the Ritz. But at the same time, it's like a really pretty decently organized and sounding 2000 person room in Raleigh. I would go there again. Also, you can just bribe them and sit up in the balcony and get table service, which is like totally my idea of a rock show at the age of 47. So my point is, is that I realized if I'm not going to fail at ignoring my birthday, I need to just take it off from work and do something fun on that day so that I'm not sitting there being cranky the whole day. So that is what I'm going to do next year. But Garbage were great. They're always a good time. Uh, it took me a while to figure out that uh, Butch Vig, who's their drummer, who is uh, known as a famous indie rock producer. He produced Nevermind, for example. Anyway, his drums are all triggers now. He had no mics over his drum kit. And I was like, something's weird, but I couldn't figure out. I just, you know, you never see a drum kit without mics on it, right? Uh, and I was like, oh my God, even the cymbals, everything's a trigger. All his drums are sampled. It was kind of amazing. It was interesting. He's just playing a bunch of live samples, but nobody really even thought about it because he just plays them like drums and it was really good. He's a very innovative guy with this stuff like that. Last two times we saw Garbage, he was going full studio kit. He had like the big glass sound thing over the drums to keep it away from everyone because I think he was using acoustic triggers like Sean Drinkwater used to use. Uh, but now the drums are just synths basically so <laughs> he doesn't need that cage anymore uh, so that was cool and then this woman Iona Geeka opened and she was pretty good but she really reminded me of like 10 different artists in Boston in the 90s sort of goth solo musician ambient like goth noise with heavenly vocals kind of thing she really would have belonged on like that heavenly voices uh, Salem Mort Records CD set back in the day uh, but she was cool and then two nights ago in New York, I went to see Simon Bonney and Mark Lanigan at Warsaw in Greenpoint, which was awesome. It was uh, the night after the Webbies, Tuesday night, and I was supposed to see my friend, but she had a bunch of work, and I was like, well, I'm supposed to go to the show, so I'll go to the show, and maybe if my friend is done after that, I'll see her afterwards. But she was never done with work, but so I went anyway, and it was like awesome. Simon Bonney is the best known as the lead singer of Crime in the City Solution, and there were so many old 40s, 50s, like, ragged looking goths in black and I was like this is awesome man these are my people I don't feel weird here at all <laughs> it was so great uh, and he was great and his wife Bronwyn Adams was there and they did a bunch of duets together she did backing vocals and violin and then she even did one of her own songs and it was just fantastic they were fantastic Simon Bonnie's awesome no crime in the city solution songs though but that's okay I saw them a couple years back in Brooklyn as well at the Music Hall of Williamsburg so you know I mean it hasn't been too long since I saw Crime of the City Solution. I doubt I'll ever see him again, though, but uh, it was great to see Simon Bonney. This guy does not come to America that often. And then I stayed for some of Mark Lanigan, and he was really good, but I, 
was just like, I was kind of, it's a great room, by the way. You can see from anywhere. And I was standing in the back. It wasn't that crowded. And, but he, he was backlit and he just looked at, <laughs> oh, well, that means I got a call. So we're going to, we're going to pick this up in two minutes after this call. But just to finish this thought, <laughs> he looked like Mad Eye Mooney. Mary Potter and I couldn't get it out of my head. It really ruined the show for me. Anyway, we'll be back after this call. All right. That was done. I did one of those calls where they offer you like a $50 gift card to do talk about some company for research. I love doing those. And it was about JustWorks, which is like the greatest customer service of any company I have ever used. So I'm always happy to talk about them. I did a conference call today with my JustWorks customer service rep, actually. So, you know, it seemed very fitting that I do that today. Plus, who's going to turn down a $50 Amazon gift card for running your mouth off for like half an hour? That is really a great deal if you think about it. Anyway, that's done. So, yeah, where were we? We were on music. I think I did the live music. So we're talking about what we listened to in the last week, two weeks. We got a lot done. We got a lot done. Today, I've been listening to the new national record over and over again. I am easy to find. I've given it about five listens. Got the triple vinyl, colored vinyl, limited editions. Very lovely, lovely record. But uh, I listened to that once, but I've been listening to it on Spotify to start tracks for my playlist. It's pretty good. I'm into it. It's got a lot of uh, guest vocalists, a lot of female guest vocalists on it. And it's got that woman, I can't remember her name, the the bald lady that's David Bowie's bassist that me and Craig and Jesse originally saw on Echo Belly at Access in like 1992. And she's also played with The The and Jane Seabury. She's on the first song and another song. She's awesome. It's good to know she's still doing stuff now that she's not working with David Bowie pretty consistently. It's a great record. I think I'm into it. It's a little long, but it feels different. It feels uh, fresh. Although I don't know why they use a drum machine, man. It's weird. I should just <laughs> get Conrad. <laughs> Conrad, why aren't you playing drums for the National? Uh, anyway, so it's great. I'm into it. Uh, and then I listened to the new, well, not new. It, was about, it turns out that back when I saw Crime in the City Solution at Music Hall of Williamsburg in like 2014 or so, that in fact, they were touring for a record. I had no idea at the time. I thought it was just sort of a reunion tour. But they had a record called, uh, very prophetically titled, American Twilight. And I finally listened to it. And it's a great record. There was a whole Crime in the City Solution record I didn't know about. I just bought it on vinyl today. It's a... Uh, it's fantastic. So I recommend that. And then before I went to the Simon Bonnie show, the solo album, his new solo album called past, present and future had come out. And I listened to that a bunch two weeks ago. Uh, whoever has put that album out is really targeting me on Facebook and I get ads for the Simon Bonnie record all the time, (laughs) but it totally worked. I bought the record and I went to a show. So I think they got their money's worth out of me on those Facebook ads. Uh, anyway, it's a great record. Strongly recommend it. Simon and Bonnie, that guy's got a great voice, man. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, then I listened to Guitar Wolf, their new EP called Love and Jet. It's like 20 minutes long. You can bang it out. It's basically like psycho metal versions of songs that are at their core, kind of like uh, the, the Runaways or the Shondells or something. So basically sort of in the spirit of what the Jesus and Mary Chain was doing at the beginning. I love Guitar Wolf. I haven't heard a new stuff by them in a while, but it was great. Uh, there's a new Clinic album out called Wheel Tappers and Shunters. It is very weird and interesting. I don't remember Clinic being quite this weird, but then I read a review of it, and apparently they've always been this weird, so maybe I'm just getting more normal. It's a little unclear. Gave that two listens so far. I'm pretty into the new Clinic record. If you like weird, sort of glitchy, angular, but slightly moody English rock, I recommend that. Uh, I listened to an album by a guy named Drug Dealer. It's a solo project, but he's got a bunch of guests, and the album's called Raw Honey. It is basically like uh, the AM radio of your youth with this, without any of the songs you definitely knew. It's kind of like, just sounds like it's 1976 music, but not any songs you know. It's pretty good. It's interesting. I don't quite know the point of it, but I am pretty impressed by it. Then I listened to a band called Jockstrap, which is a, a Nikki Digital recommendation, but it's fantastic, actually. Uh, the album's called Love is the Key to the City, and it is really, really good. And I it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's a melodic, it's female, but it's weird, and it's it's kind of... 
I don't know. It's good. It's good. Uh, then I listened to an album, an EP by a band called Light Asylum that I think might be a super group or somebody I like is in it, but I can't remember why. And I didn't have time to look it up today. And I listened to a new EP called Intention and it was really good, but I don't remember why I listened to it. So I might have more info about them at a future date. There's a new Bruce Hornsby album called Absolute Zero, which is fantastic. Bruce Hornsby is... Uh, He's, it's got a lot of uh, what's his name from Bonnie Vare on there and a bunch of other like indie rock special guests. And it's just great. I, I had listened to the advanced single, which is one of the songs collaboration with Justin Vernon, but the album is fantastic. I strongly recommend it. I'm psyched that Bruce Hornsby's still out there making music. It's the kind of thing that can happen when you got a song like the way it is early in your career, you can just keep at it for the rest of your life. So good on you, Bruce Hornsby. Uh, there's a new Sun O album. Apparently they're just called Sun, but I don't buy I would call them Sun O and I'm sticking to it. It's called Life Metal and it, it sounds like Sun O. Rumbly, low, droney, noise metal. It's fantastic. I love Sun O. They make me so happy. Uh, I listened to the new Pure Bathing Culture album, Night Pass. Very pretty sort of uh, melodic stuff. I get them mixed up a lot with some other bands. There's like a whole school of bands like that these days. Uh, but I liked it. It was good. Uh, new Local Natives, Violet Street, uh, did, did not stick with me. I have pleasant memories of that album, but I, I gave it two listens, but I, I can't say anything about it. It sounds like, I, mean, I don't know. I really like them live every time I've seen them, though, but this album didn't quite do it for me. Uh, and then another Nikki Digital jam, uh, The Films, Being Bored. This is old. Films apparently were some New York band, kind of like in the Strokes era. I never heard of them at the time, but I thought that album was great. And it does sound like it's New York music from the Strokes era, so if you want more of that... I recommend the films being bored. And then I listened to the King Grizzard, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album, which, you know, that's one of the best band names out there, if you ask me. And the album title is so good. It's called Fishing for Fishies. <laughs> and that made me very happy. I saw those guys a couple times back in the day, and I really enjoy them. And they're, they're, they're a brand of 70s psychedelic drone space rock. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Gave the new Mountain Goats several listens in League with Dragons. And it is more of the Mountain Goats, and it's really good. But what I have not done is listen to the lyrics. So I think I need to give that another listen. But uh, I think, yeah, I think tomorrow is going to be more. No, I guess not. Monday will be more Mountain Goats. Uh, I haven't bought that on vinyl either yet. I bought the last one. I had to buy the last one because it was called Goth, and it had a song about Andrew Eldritch. So maybe that one just spoke more to my sense of aging than this one. But uh, I enjoyed it. I, I have given it three listens so far and I am pretty into it. No standout tracks yet though. And then I listened to a whole host of Boston 90s goth music. I had my friend Mike Anderson, who is a relentless archiver, even better than me, send me a bunch of stuff that I did not have. I thought I had it, but I did not. So what I was looking for were, were the demo tapes from a band called 12 Tone Failure, which is Valerie Forgione from Missile Thrush's band before Missile Thrush that we were really into. And so he did send me those. He sent me the two-song demo and the three-song demo and some live songs from 93. And those are all fantastic. I hadn't heard 12-Tone Failure in, well, probably 25 years. So that made me really, really happy. But then he also sent a bunch of other stuff, which was awesome. He sent a live recording of a Big Monster Fishhook show, live at Dungeon, Cambridge, 21st of August, 1995. I was really, really into Big Monster Fishhook. Well, my friend Annie and I did the cover to their album. Lisa from Big Monster Fishhook stayed in my house for several months. They're, they're very close friends at the time i have lost touch with lisa i don't know what happened to her uh, but i loved that band and i have never heard this live show before and it was just amazing and it made me so happy oh my god it took me back it transported me in time i probably saw that band like 50 times back in the day and uh you know, they're not on Spotify, they're not anywhere, but if you ever want to hear them, drop a line, I'll send you all the big monster fish hook stuff. Uh, and then he sent me a couple other, like, side projects and other bands he sent me. <laughs> There's this guy, Brad, he was in Big Monster Fish Hook for a while, and he was in Missile Thrush for a while, and he had a solo album I never knew about called Johnny Blackheart, and it's great, so <laughs> I don't know what happened to Brad. He and I were never that close, he just, we had a lot of mutual friends. But uh, that album was awesome, and then he sent me a live from 1993 Opium Den show, that I didn't know about that was also fantastic. That is Christian's man, Christian Gilbert. Uh, I think Dave McFarland was in that band too. Uh, Annette Farrington, right? 
Ruben? No, Ruben was... Ah, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, I loved Opium Den back in the day, too. That was a great... I hear a 93 live show. And then uh, Salamander Glass, and another related group from the Boston goth scene of the early 90s, and he sent me a bunch of their tracks as well. So that was really just... Uh, that was a great day. I think that was last Friday. I just listened to like all that stuff, and I was just transported in time. Actually, no, you know what? It was on Tuesday. It was on my birthday. It was like the one good thing about the daytime of my birthday. It was, I spent it listening to Big Monster Fishhook and 12-Tone Failure. also bought one Missile Thrush CD I didn't have. I didn't have Super Refraction, and I bought it for a dollar on the internet and ripped it, so now I have it. And I listened to all the old Missile Thrush as well. That's what started this whole thing, so that was probably Monday before last. I listened to, like, the, all the old Missile Thrush, too, which was great. So that is what I've been doing for music in the last two weeks. Yeah. television um, obviously watching MSNBC is the horror show that are these abortion laws get passed around the country and just him and I are sitting there just amazed at how awful they all are although not really terribly surprised my friend Jen Wright said on Twitter like every woman that was crying on election day this is why and I was like well I'm right there with you man I knew this was all going down and those of you that were listening to this podcast can recall how worked up I was over Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings because this is what was on the line so now it's it's the last moment, yeah, to quote Dr. Strange, we're in the end game now. They've laid all the pieces on the table, and now they're going to wait and see as these these laws get struck down by, by district courts and state courts, and they work their way up to the Supreme Court, and we'll see if it all worked, if Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, two illegitimate Supreme Court seats, are as pro- life anti-abortion as they hope they are i had a high school teacher that taught me my first government classes and he said that like one of the president a president's greatest mistake is assuming that supreme court judges will always judge the way you think they will and it sort of ties into robert caro where he says when you have power you know it, it does corrupt but what it really does is reveal and a lot of people they say what they need to say to get the power and once they have the power they revert to who they really are and it's happened before and it happened with john roberts with with uh, obamacare and I don't think John Roberts will wholesale overturn Roe, but I, I don't know anything about Gorsuch and Kavanaugh yet. Kavanaugh and they both voted to overturn a, another precedent recently, so that's not a good sign, but we shall see. There is hope it could fail, but there's, that's it. This is what happens now. If you feel like you need to do something, the best thing to do now is to fund the ACLU is fighting these lawsuits in every state. There are things we'll be able to have to do once and if that rose overturned, things like the Yellow Fund to help the people in these states. But right now, they, it's all about the courts and it's all about like making sure that we're funded enough to fight these cases in all these courts. So that's depressing. Uh, yeah, what else? This is the politics segment, I guess. So, you know, I'll do that. Oh, God, Chris Matthews yesterday did this like open forum in Pennsylvania and there were a bunch of whack job Trump people. And I was like, I can't watch this. I just turned it off. I was like, I'm done with you people. I'm not good at engaging lately. I tried on a friend's Facebook page and it sort of worked okay, but it's not particularly pleasant and of course we have the presidential election <laughs> i don't know i'm not a i'm not a biden fan but i guess i'll get behind that guy if that's what we're gonna do he seems so milk toast and we you know i'm very worked up about the environment these days and his middle of the road compromise on the environment that was rumored makes me very angry and it was one of obama's chief failings was assuming they could work with business on this stuff so that doesn't make me happy but my wife points out to me that aoc and other people will pressure him and it's not necessarily going to work and congress writes the laws also, not to be completely bleak, but there's about a 0% chance we're going to take the Senate. So we're really looking at a placeholder presidency anyway until we can take the Senate, hopefully two years later. So, you know, this is a rear guard action at best. But if I have to vote for my will, I am a Warren fan. I don't know if I've ever said that on here before, but uh, that is where I'm at. I'm going to be for her until she loses. 
but uh, that seems like it's probably going to happen. It's nice to see people realizing she's got great policies, though, and I think she's pretty smart because what she's really doing is she's like giving policies to people that uh, have directions they want to go, but not necessarily very clear policies, and her policies are there for the grabbing, so, you know, people can take them, and she can wield influence that way, which makes me pretty happy. And then, uh, let's see, we finished The Orville. That show is fantastic. I just I can't say enough good things about it. And we just finished season one of Future Man, which is a Hulu special time travel thing featuring Peter, Le- Peter Malark from The Hunger Games. And it was hilarious, and it made me very happy, and it was very, very good. And then, of course, we have Game of Thrones. I am... I will say more or less a fan of what's been going on this season because I view art as something that people make and then I recognize it is very hard to make and I recognize that the accomplishments that these people have been pulling off are amazing and I recognize that it's thousands of people that are at the end of their rope and very tired of working on the same thing for a decade and that they couldn't go on much longer and that it by necessity for those reasons as well as the fact that they lost their source material it's going to change and it's going to speed up i'm not blind to certain problems and as a fan of something that focuses only on plot and what people want to do i could certainly say i wish certain people did things differently but by and large i find that moot i think that's just part of the storytelling experience i find it very curious when people say a story should have gone a different way it's kind of like yeah life should have gone a different way it's, i mean i get it but it's not really who i am I, I look at these as creations by people that make them and i just think it's an amazing thing i think it's amazing i i, I never thought it was a feel-good show show i never thought that we were supposed to be rooting for any character i never thought that like these are people they're supposed to be role models or anything i don't really know i am very impressed uh my heart is racing every time and uh while i'm watching it i find it intense and compelling i thought the last episode was just one of the most amazing things i'd seen on tv and i thought the battle of winterfell was one of the most amazing things i'd seen on tv of course i'm very privileged and i have a 65 inch tv in 4k and it's like in the dark and i can see in the black screen it looks fine so uh, you know that's that's a thing that's on me i get it but i'm very impressed i i i'm empathetic to these people i feel terrible that like they're gonna get a lot of shit no matter what happens tomorrow or saturday sunday oh god there's no winning nobody's gonna there's no way to make everybody happy i read a great like thread about this by chuck wendig he's very good on twitter he's like a star wars writer and writes some other sci-fi and stuff and he's like you can't make everybody happy these stories yeah there's just no way you can, it's not about like fan service you have to listen to fans but at the same time you can't and blah 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 and i just you know it's tough i'm empathetic i'm empathetic i know a lot of my friends are very upset about certain story developments but that's just not who i am i don't think i ever really am maybe i'm being a hypocrite maybe there's some other thing i am uh, you know this happened with star wars i'm like oh that's what happened in star wars there are times i think that like from a construction point of view an ending could be cleaner or neater but i think that's a little bit different i don't think i feel that way about this because i don't think that there is a way to have ended this cleanly because it was like a million storylines that needed 20 more years and they only had eight episodes so i don't think it was possible i don't know i don't know controversial opinions about game of thrones man some stressful stuff moving on i went to the movies last week i went and saw detective pikachu and it was so great it made me so happy what a great movie it too had some like structural parts where i'm like ah, i could have been better like uh, the entire villain's motivation is a little mysterious to me but the villain in question was bill nighy so that's awesome because i love bill nighy and it was just that movie made me happy man detective pikachu top notch top notch and then i finally watched beyonce's homecoming I hadn't got around to seeing it. Uh, Emma on Mother's Day was like, you need to watch this baby for two hours and I'm going to go hide and do some work. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll watch this baby. So I watched the baby and I watched uh, Beyonce Homecoming. And it was very good. That show, man, she put a lot of work into it. She really poured her heart and her soul into it. And you know what makes me mad is like, yeah, I was looking at the trivia, I was reading about it and stuff and I went to IMDB trivia and there's only one piece of trivia and it was like, 
Beyonce was paid $8 million for her Coachella performance. I'm like, yeah, well, if you watch this thing, you realize, I mean, how much do you rent do you think she had to pay for that warehouse? How much do you think it costs to employ 500 people for four months? You know what? I can tell you how much it costs to employ 500 people for four months. Let's do some quick math here, shall we? Well, you know, I think she said it was 120 people or something like that. But if you say call it 150 people and you say four months because she did say they rehearsed for four months and pay them $30,000 a year and do the math. And it's like well over $10 million just in salaries. Now, obviously, they could she could not have even paid them that much or maybe she did. But the point is, like, just having a piece of trivia saying she got paid $8 million. That's bullshit, man. That is bullshit. Hello, it is my wife and my baby. Look at them. What's going on, wife and baby? Come join the Look podcast. Look at them. Look at them. You can't look at them. You're not going to talk. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jane. Well, we'll pause for a moment here. All right. They have moved on. I'm going to need to get the baby monitor, put a new battery in it. That's done. We're going to turn to books. Uh, apropos of books, I listen to two new Robert Caro podcasts. Uh, nothing really new in either one of them. I think I'm done with the Robert Caro press junket. I think the world is. Uh, but they were good. It was fun. Uh, now I've really, I think I've listened to pretty much every one. So yeah, props for that. I finished This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein, uh, Capitalism Versus the Climate. So this book really is intense, man. When I started, I was very skeptical of it, but by the end, it had me completely convinced. Uh, as an aside, before I get into that, it also was a book that had footnotes and endnotes, like my Star Trek book does, and I'm a big fan of any book with footnotes and endnotes, so that's pretty exciting. But, you know, its basic premise is, like, we can't half-ass this, like, uh, fixing the climate stuff, and that the right is basically right when they say that this is totally disruptive and an assault on capitalism because there's no way that the two are really compatible. And I don't fully buy her arguments, but I also came to realize it doesn't matter because there's no time anymore. And, like, it's possible some, like, Elon Musk-type person will make some invention that will save us all, although she does a great job explaining why the uh, atmospheric barriers are a terrible idea, specifically that it will cause famines and storms in India and places like that, and will be just awful. But you know, maybe somebody will make like a carbon capture device or something like that, like in my civilization game. But it doesn't matter because we can't rely on that. And we can't rely on cap and trade. We gave them 10, 15 years for the capitalists to fix their own problems. And they didn't. They, like, shot everything down. And they, like, they watered it all down. And it didn't work. And all the, the only cap and trade system that launched failed. And they fucked Obama with his, like, plans. And they didn't let him pass a law even after they watered the law down. And there's just no time anymore, man. They had their chance. So I really think this book was probably the intellectual underpinnings of the Green New Deal. It came about four or five years ago. So that is one thing about the book is like it's a little behind on how fast the solar revolution is happening. But all in all, I think it makes sense. Uh, effectively, I think you can look at this book as an argument for the Green New Deal. And in fact, this year, Naomi Klein came out with a book saying about why we should support the Green New Deal. And I suspect is a pared down version of This Changes Everything. So if you want to read that, I recommend it. I'll probably plow through it sometime in the next few months. But it swayed me. It really did sway me, and it's made me very kind of wacky. And so, <laughs> so it's funny, Em and I were talking about Joe Biden when I got home from New York yesterday or two days ago, and I just snapped. I was like, I don't have time for his watered down, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like cranky about Obama and this and that. And she like kind of looked at me in shock. And then I was laying in bed. And I was like, oh, yeah, she doesn't really know I read this book. And she doesn't know that this book swayed me and completely changed my opinion on this subject. Because I used to fall for that stuff, man. I used to think that cap and trade was going to work or that like, you know, carbon offsets are going to work. And none of that's going to work. And none of it's going to work. And uh, so then yesterday I was like, I feel like I need to fill you in on this book. And I walked her through like the, the talking points of the book, chapter and chapter, chapter by chapter. This section on the right is right because they know it's a real like, full on challenge of capitalism. Section on carbon and transportation, which is really depressing. Section on like the climactic risks of atmospheric shields, the section on how most carbon capture technologies are actually funded by the oil industry because they need that carbon to use to drill for more oil, section on uh, divestment in fossil fuel companies, section on how much uh, proven reserves they have compared to how much more we can pump into the environment, section on, you know, how the cap and trade went section on Nigeria section on indigenous people. I just sort of walked through it all. And it was like, it led to a lot of good conversations in the house. So that was really good. And then while I was in New York last trip, Emma was like, have you heard of Jane Jacobs? And I was like, Oh yes, I have. And then I walked her through 
how Jane Jacobs is, for those of you who don't know, she's sort of like the grandmother of urban planning and saving neighborhoods. She was the person who had a significant hand in stopping Robert Moses. She was instrumental in stopping and plowing through his expressway through Soho. She's written several books. I own several of them. Uh, The battle between Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs constitutes most of the 300,000 words that were taken out of the power broker. Robert Caro said in one interview, actually, that... um, he didn't realize that how much of the Jane Jacobs stuff had been taken out until much later. And, uh, nobody asked him in any of these interviews about whether he would ever publish those extra 300,000 words. So that's a bummer. But anyway, uh, I did not know about this, but Jane Jacobs last book was called dark age ahead. It came out about five years ago and it sort of talked about the decline of America. And so I bought that and I started reading it. It's only 230 pages. I'm almost done. And it's very interesting. Cause it's like, she's picked five or six weird topics, right? She's like, I could have picked environment and this and this, but you know, it's things like level of government and government funding. And it's things like uh, self-policing of industry and how all these things are failing. Uh, I can't remember them all now, but so it's sort of related and it's interesting, but it's, it is very interesting on its own. She has interesting stories. There's a great anecdote in there where she's on her, she's on her neighborhood committee and they're trying to reduce traffic in their neighborhood. Oh, this is really the best part, right? Because she goes on this long thing about something I've wondered about since reading The Power Broker about sort of the myth that roads ease traffic, that how we realize roads create more traffic and how it was so long before studies would do that. And she talked about that. She talked about how people were educated in urban planning and they were all taught the same thing, that roads like ease traffic, but it wasn't true. And it was decades before studies finally came out supporting that. But she knew it was true because they blocked a road being plowed through Union Square and the traffic in Robert Moses told her that like, you know, the traffic would get worse and they closed off a road and it didn't get worse. And so she's always known this. And then finally studies have started coming out since the mid to late nineties. And then (laughs) she's like, and here I am 30 years later living in this neighborhood in Toronto, we're trying to get a road turned around reversed. And the urban planners are saying the same garbage they were saying in the sixties. And she's like, and I politely corrected it. But I'm like, wow, pity the urban planner that's sitting there explaining traffic flow only to learn that Jane Jacobs is on the the neighborhood community board. I bet that went over really well. (laughs) Yeah. Jane Jacobs humor. I have two or three of her books in hardcover that I've been buying at the Chapel Hill library sales, but, uh, and then life and death of American cities, her first book and best known, I did not own. So I bought that as well in Kindle. So I think I told you about this last week, but I'll, I'll probably read that soon as well after this and the Ian McEwan novel and maybe the LaGuardia biography. I'm not really sure. But I am enjoying Dark Age Ahead. It's a good book. Uh, And I will tell you more about it once I finish it next week. Turning to tech, I had an insight about this tech segment. I know I've been kind of bitching about these later podcast segments lately. And I realized that, like, one thing that's kind of interesting is tech as it relates to Chatham County. It's been kind of like... A uh, point of fascination in my life down here. People are like, oh my God, I love DoorDash or Urban Eats or Uber Eats or something. I'm like, yeah, man, I don't have any of that stuff. I live here in the woods. Like, tech comes to us at different times than other people. <laughs> we don't have seamless, you know what I mean? But then we have other tech that like people don't really know about in cities like Ring and Nextdoor. So I think I'm going to sort of talk more about Chatham County tech sometimes. And so two things I've noticed. And I, one is that there are Teslas everywhere here now. Like I do not go out without seeing at least one, usually two or more Teslas when I'm driving. They have they are way, way, way more of them than there used to be. It is really, really becoming a mainstream thing. I see almost more, I see more Teslas than I see Jaguars. You still see way more BMWs and Mercedes. I did see a Jaguar I-Pace the other day too, though. That was very exciting. But, uh, you know, I don't think people in New York or Boston, that's as obvious. California has had, you know, you go to California, you see them everywhere, but you see them everywhere now in rural North Carolina. And I think that's a positive thing. And it's kind of an interesting thing, especially to those Tesla bears, stock bears, maybe if they went out in the world and realized how many more of these there are in, in places like this. I don't know. That's interesting because cars, of course, the more you see a car, you more you're aware of it. They're like their own advertising, right? They're like driving little billboards. So that's, you know, that's a positive thing. Another tech thing in this area recently is that the Walmart checkout kiosk, somebody wrote this really interesting article recently about how much they hate self-checkout and how terrible it is. And I agree. Although 
I thought it was interesting. Recently, Walmart fixed most of the stuff that's annoying. And it's like they just kind of decided that they didn't care about all that sort of paranoia stuff that was in there. For example, you don't have to bag anything anymore. And they don't weigh it. You can just scan it and throw it back in your cart. And there's not like a... It used to be in the old days, you could you had to wait like five seconds and then click, I don't want to bag this item. But no, you don't have to do that at all now. They just got rid of it. You can just scan and put it back in your cart. You can put it on the, the weight thing. It doesn't really matter. They don't care anymore. Which means they don't care and like one of the most annoying things you scan something and it's really small and you put it on there and they're like please put it on there you're like i put it on there and then you, ah, it just drives you crazy nope don't do it anymore they have optical recognition cameras so you put a banana on there and you hit look up and it sees it's yellow and it gives you some options of yellow things like bananas and lemons it's really good uh it really has made self-checkout immensely better to the point where i go to harris teeter afterwards every weekend i go to two grocery stores and I'm annoyed by their self-checkout. I don't go to self-checkout at Harris Teeter because they're so bad. But at Walmart, it's really good. It doesn't take Apple Pay, though, so that's still annoying. But, yeah, I bet you guys had no idea that Walmart radically re reworked its self-checkout kiosks, did you? Uh, anyway, work's going good. Our partners are ramping up. Nimbus is going pretty well. I got a higher offer out today. I'm probably not going to hear about it till Monday, so that's a little stressful. But, uh yeah, it's exciting. Uh, Kristen is really revamping everything. We got our website is getting built. We got our product roadmaps in place. Got a really good website copy we read through the other day. It's turning into a real company. David's at another conference in London this week doing some biz dev. It's exciting, man. It's exciting. I, however, am just buried in ops. I'm going to tell you some things I'm dealing with. An audit, a SOC audit, Section 606, conversion from a cash to accrual accounting, Black Skulls pricing, which I didn't used to have to do because we were cash basis, but now we're accrual basis, so I have to do Black Skulls pricing on our options all the way back to 2017. I have to figure out if our health plans are Section 125 compliant. I have to redo the commissions onto an accrual basis. I have a whole list of these things, and it's just like become major ops world. I've got Hugh helping me now. He's great, but like, man, my job, man. Man, I understand. Oh, yeah, sales tax. Sales tax is nuts. I just thought software as a service was like service, so there wasn't going to be a sales tax. That is totally not true. So now I'm learning about sales tax in every state and Canada, and like I'm learning you know, these weird sales tax rules that all make kind of sense. Like if you're a small business, you don't have to do sales tax in like Florida if you only sold like a hundred bucks of stuff in Florida in a year. But once you hit their threshold, then you have to start collecting tax. And then so like I might have a client that like for the first four invoices doesn't have sales tax on it. And then one day he's just going to have sales tax on that invoice. And that'll be really weird. And it's different in every state. So I have these giant tables of every state and what their nexus of commerciality is in that state. And when I have to start charging and some states don't care about uh, software as a service and they don't charge sales tax and software as a service like California. Thank you, California. So it's all very fascinating and it's a big pain in the ass and that's like half my life now and it's kind of tedious, but it's also super interesting and I think I kind of like it. But yeah, I don't know. It's like my job's in two parts. There's that and then we go to these product meetings and do roadmaps and talk about the future and talk about the product and that's all great. And then it's like, all right, let's do a SOC 1 audit. This is going to be fun. They don't even know that's coming yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll just spare you guys if you don't know what it is. Anyway. It's going okay, although I am really sick of traveling. I wish I could just do my whole job from home. You know, carbon footprint too, right? Yay, Greta Thunberg. Thunberg throwback callback we have come full circle so now we are at the end not gonna do any project stuff because I'm not working on projects work is my project these days my baby's my project these days the rest of my brain goes to worrying about the environment and abortion rights so no projects but thank you all for listening talk to you guys next week take care